Then Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Please pray with me. Dear God, we ask you once again, as we do week after week, to be here with us this morning, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a pretty good baseball player as a little kid, and I loved it too. Every spring was sort of a rebirth for me. I would go into the garage and unwrap the big rubber band from around my glove and wrap it around the, the front of my hat. I had all of these routines that everyone would think would be perfect for that first baseball practice. This was my sort of rebirth every spring. I was, I was one of those funny kids who liked practice more than the game because in the game you might only get a ball hit to you a couple times, but in practice the coach would hit you ground balls over and over and over again. It was heaven. I had one coach um, probably when I was 11 or 12 uh, who was this sort of grizzled stereotypical guy. Uh, you can imagine him all the expensive gear to go with his big beer gut. Um, and he was one of these guys who wasn't going to take it easy on us because the world wasn't going to take it easy on us. You know the type. I remember he would hit grounders at us as hard as he possibly could. And on those small little league fields, that's no joke. It could get pretty crazy. On more than one occasion, a ball would take a funny hop and split your lip or crack you in the nose or lodge itself you-know-where. You'd be, you'd be on the ground sort of writhing around trying to recover from the last ball that he hit you when the next one would come screaming toward you, accompanied by a yelled encouragement. Like, come on, son, rub dirt on it and keep going. Or you think those other teams are going to take it easy on you? Or I could come field the grounders for you, but what good's that going to do? Figure it out or I'll find someone who will. It was sink or swim, Little League style. You had to be able to face down a ground ball that was hit harder at you than any kid would ever hit it at you because then the grounders that you'd get in a game would seem like no problem at all. And so my plan was always to sort of throw myself into these grounders face first. If I didn't feel them cleanly, at least I could impress the coach with my hustle. And uh, in my warped brain, this story is what I thought of when I read our story this morning from Matthew about Peter walking on the water. This is sort of the biblical analog to the grizzled Little League coach. Again, at least as I conceive of it, Jesus is the grizzled coach here and Peter is the exuberant rookie. He's the kid with the hustle, right? He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. The chutzpah on this guy, right? The faith of Peter is rightly lauded. Peter has the guts 
to actually step out of the boat and start walking. Now, Peter is a fisherman. He's got lots of water experience. He should know what would happen if you're on the water but not in a boat. You sink. But just for a moment, Peter doesn't. Peter is walking on the water. But then what happens? Matthew says that he notices the strong wind and becomes frightened. And that then is Peter's critical mistake. He was faithful enough to begin his walk on the water, but not quite faithful enough to finish it. He took his eyes off of Jesus. So don't make that mistake. In uh, preparing for this sermon, I took a little cruise around the internet and I found a children's sermon outline which suggested that the preacher gather the children around him, look at them and say, take your eyes and put them on me. And no matter what else happens, stay focused on me. Then you have your prearranged adult volunteers to go flick the lights on and off or shoot them in the face with water from spray bottles and play storm music over the loudspeakers. So acolytes, uh, if you could man the light switches. <laughs> then you ask the kids, was it difficult to keep your focus where it was supposed to be? Just imagine Peter's distractions. The wind was howling, the waves crashing. Peter turned his focus to the things around him, and he doubted Jesus. He was gripped with fear, and he began to sink. Then the application section of this children's sermon outline has you say to the kids, and I'm going to quote here just briefly, when the disciples first saw Jesus walking on the water, he told them to be brave and not be afraid. But Peter had a mixture of faith and fear. I think that describes most of us at times. We may start out with faith. We might begin to do something that we know God wants us to do, like being nice to that kid who nobody likes. Or we might have faith that gives us peace in a difficult time, like when a family member is sick or our parents are arguing. But then we take our eyes off of Jesus. We look at the scary situation around us, we doubt whether God actually has power over that situation or if he cares enough to help us. We may stop doing what God wants us to do, or we may be overwhelmed with fear. You know the kind of fear I'm talking about, the kind that makes you feel like there's a whirlwind in the pit of your stomach. And then the teaching point, stay focused on Jesus. And listen, this is all fine. This is good advice. We should stay focused on Jesus. We shouldn't let our fears convince us that God doesn't have sufficient power or that he doesn't care. He does have power. He does care. And I love the way that this children's lesson describes the fear 
The kind of fear that makes you feel like there's a whirlwind in the pit of your stomach. Who can't identify with that? A whirlwind in the pit of your stomach. The only problem with the admonition to stay focused on Jesus is that it comes too late. It assumes that we're not already sinking. But we are. We are gathered here together this morning in this place, drowning. Now, if I stand up here and encourage you to have the faith of Peter, but to see it through to the end, to believe in the power of Christ so strongly that you're willing to get out of the boat and walk on the water, but then I admonish you to not make the mistake that Peter did. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. I'm assuming that you're either still in the boat or still successfully walking on the water. Get out of that boat. Have powerful faith, I might be saying. Or you can do it. Keep walking on that water. Finish the way you started. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The problem is, if you're like me, or my friends, or my family members, or any of the people I know, or the people sitting to the left or right of you in the pew right now, exhortation and admonition come to late. You didn't come to a Christian church in 2017 to hear me give you good advice, or to encourage you to step out in faith, or to admonish you to do better. You came to a church in 2017 because your marriage fell apart, or because your worst secret just became public knowledge. You're here because you're wondering if there is good news to be proclaimed after what happened in Charlottesville yesterday. You can feel that there's a terrible disconnect between the way things are and the way things ought to be, both on the streets of American cities and in the dark corners of your own heart. You're here because one of your children has stopped talking to you or because one of your parents has failed you completely. You're here this morning because you're drowning. Well, I have good news this morning for drowning people. And the good news is this. Jesus, Christianity, is not ultimately about good advice, exhortation, or admonition. All those things have their place, and used in their place are of great benefit, but they are not good news for drowning people. This is. But when Peter noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus doesn't wait. He doesn't say to himself, let's see how Peter reacts to this situation. Let's see what kind of swimmer he is. 
Jesus doesn't hit Peter another ground ball as hard as he can. Matthew says that Jesus' reaction is immediate. So this story is not finally about you staying focused on Jesus, although that's a good thing. It is finally about knowing the good news, that Jesus is focused on you. Jesus is not a tough love coach who's not going to do it for you, not going to take it easy on you, and really wants you to figure it out for yourself. In fact, Jesus would be a terrible coach because instead of asking for an accomplishment from you and then encouraging you to do your best, he gives you his own accomplishments. He does step in and do it for you. At first, he's much worse than my little league coach. At first, he asks not for hard work, not for effort and hustle, but for perfect obedience. Love your enemies. Give all you have to the poor. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But then after being worse, he becomes better, so much better. After asking for perfection, he gives his perfection as a gift. He takes all your failure onto his shoulders and gives you all his goodness in exchange. Christianity is not about a Jesus who stands there rooting for us and encouraging us to swim more efficiently. Christianity is about a Jesus who rescues the drowning. Now, I can hear your objection. I bet you guys got really good at baseball with that tough, demanding coach. And yes, the law, the rules, exhortation, encouragement, and admonishment can and often do lead to temporary obedience. But here's the thing. It never, ever leads to love. We hated that coach. And I can't even remember his name. People who see Jesus as a tough love coach, they give it a shot for a while, get burned out, and then leave forever. And they run so far away that they can barely remember his name. But people who know Jesus as a savior who rescues the drowning, they fall in love with him forever. So, my brothers and sisters, when you feel that fear, and you know the fear I'm talking about, the one that makes you feel like there's a whirlwind in the pit of your stomach, when you feel that fear, don't delude yourself. Don't think, what can I do to stay on top of the water? How fast can I swim? Or what does my coach want me to do? Do what Peter did. Say, Lord, save me. There's a meme going around the internet right now that compares the last words of the Buddha 
to the last words of Jesus. Maybe you've seen it. Buddha's final words were, strive unceasingly. Sounds like my old coach. Jesus' words were, it is finished. I'll take Jesus. Thank you very much. Because it's too late for me to strive. I'm drowning. I will call out with Peter, Lord, save me. We'll do it together in just a moment. We'll confess. We'll say, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. At our right one services, we put it into even more profound terms. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. The burden is intolerable. We have a whirlwind in the pit of our stomach. We are drowning. But we call out once again, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. And God, on account of that Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, immediately reaches out his hand and catches us. And so, we are saved. Yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.